0: This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast, brought to you by G4 Marketing. Interviews with today's top home improvement entrepreneurs about marketing, sales, money, mindset, and lifestyle. Now, here's your host, Brian Kaskavalsian. Let me ask you, are you profitable enough? I know I wasn't for a lot of years. And I found a book a couple of years ago called Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits. I wish I had this book 20 years ago. If you're in business today, run out and buy a copy or go to Amazon, buy a copy of Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits. On this episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast, I'm going to be talking with the author of that book, Greg Crabtree. Now, Greg has worked with hundreds of businesses in all different industries. He is an expert in the areas of profitability. And you know how much I like to talk about profitability. It's key. It's key to the success of your business, to my business. So in this episode, we're going to discuss Greg's three simple steps to being successful in business. We're going to talk about the key to profitability Uh, which is really interesting. It's not quite what you would have thought it would be. And we talk about how to analyze your numbers so you understand where you really are in your business. Again, I can't stress the importance of the book, Simple Numbers. Go out, get it. But for now, enjoy this episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Let's get to it. All right, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. I am really excited to have Greg Crabtree with us. Now, you probably haven't heard this name before. It's an interesting name, Crabtree. But remember the name because you're going to want to go buy his book. It's called Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits. I've asked Greg to join us to talk about profits, we've been talking a lot about profit all year. It's been the big topic of the year, and will continue to be. So, I wanted to go right to an expert on the field of profit, get his take on how we make more of it. So, Greg, welcome. Thanks for being here.
1: Right. Yeah, I appreciate you having
0: me. So, when I read when I read your book, the thing that really stuck with me and was the most impactful for me was your contention that 10% net profit is the new break even you know which i wish i had that information 15 years ago but that's another story i've got it now right. so talk to us a little bit about that and and what that means
1: well you know in in, in the in my practice I, i've just always been you know, curious as to, you know, why does some entrepreneurs succeed? Why does some fail? And, and so uh, it struck me years ago that, you know, I have all this data that, that I can use for research. And rather than have anecdotal information, I really wanted to study it and say, you know, because there's really not a lot of private company data that that's available for people to study Well, I'm sitting on it. I mean, you know, it's like, I can't reveal, you know, client confidentiality and trade secrets and all those kinds of things. That, That that's not the kind of thing you, what you're really looking at is data that says, are there common patterns of success? And one of the things that led me to that process was what we call the simple numbers profit model. And so in the book, I show this there's this one example of how we see financials, I think it's on page 22 of the book, and I show a comparison of a construction contractor to a services business, and I contend that once you filter out materials and, and the cost of goods that do not include labor, and you get down to gross margin, that that's really the true top line of the business, and then from there down, a lot of businesses look very similar. I mean, you'll have a few outliers. But essentially, once we we were able to put all the data set into one consistent structure regardless of industry and start studying it, uh, things started to emerge out of that. One was what was a the, the typical profit margin that people had to have, and that's where I came up with a phrase that at 5% profit, you're on life support. At 10%, you're a good business. At 15%, you're a great business. Now, that assumes that gross margin, that revenue minus direct cost, is above 40%. Kind of the break-even line. One of these things that we see uh, in your listeners, if there's any general contractors in the audience listening, general contractors typically have a lot more pass-through. And so they're going to have a, probably about in the 20%, 25% gross margin range. And so a, gro- a, a, a general contractor would actually base their profitability off a of gross margin. And if you do that, you just need to move all those those markers that I said of the 5, 10, and 15 and make it, because you're turning over a lot of dollars at the top. But for most of the the people that you're you're talking to, they're going to be above 40% gross margin. And so they need to be at that at least 10% number in profitability. And the reason for that is this. Generally, between debt service and, and all other non, you know, the cash flow items of building working capital and, and the floats between accounts payable and accounts receivable, you just don't get 100% of your cash immediately. And so when you run it too close uh, to, to the edge, you just don't have enough oxygen in the business. And we found that that 10% mark, everything worked. And then from there, the really exceptional businesses are the ones that get up to about 15 and beyond. And I always like to say that you know when you see a profit level go beyond 15%, the market's going to figure out that you're doing well and somebody's going to find a way to compete and push you back down to closer to 15 or below. The other thing we found that as businesses move from the 10% to the 15% mark, is it exposed every weakness possible in that business, whether it's your marketing, your sales, your operations, your processes, your culture, um, getting from 10 to 15% is, is the great, uh, exposure of of that because, um, because that's what it takes to be the best of the best. And now the other thing is, is you also find that you might get to 15% profitability, say at a million dollars of revenue, but to push beyond and get to 2 million or beyond there, that profit margin has to come back because you've kind of found all of the price insensitive customers. And a lot of times I like to say, you found all the stupid customers who are not price sensitive and you can't build your, your business off of stupid customers who don't really know the value of a dollar. And, and you have to be careful. I mean, sometimes you will get customers who do not push you on price. And, and the thing is the marketplace is not full of those kind of folks. And so you have to be market sensitive of understanding that the broader market is going to be a little more price competitive and you've got to find a way to really be profitable as you move up that, that volume chain you know, and try to move out. And, and sometimes even change geography or move to another city or another location and, and that as well, because that's really where you, know, you really start to challenge your skill as a business owner.
0: Yeah, I like that. I like the whole stupid customers thing that don't know the value. Uh, Yeah, we want to avoid those. Yeah, but if if you've got a customer and they're not going to allow you, essentially allow you because of price, Mm -hmm. to make a profit, who the hell wants Mm -hmm. that customer?
1: Right. Well, you know, and and I will say this – I was having dinner with a, a client of mine and we both just love the study of business. And we were chatting and, you know, these things when you're just chatting about things, you all of a sudden you'll have a thought form and it really struck me. I said, Oh, I got to remember that. And I said, listen, you know, to be successful in business is really simple and that's not easy, but it is simple. You just got to do three things. You got to figure out what the market needs. You got to find a way to do it profitably. And then you got to tell everybody about it. Mm-hmm. And really, if you think about it, determining market need and telling everybody about it is actually much more on the marketing side of understanding, which I'm a huge believer in. And, And I think there's just not a lot of effort to put into those things to really understand the marketplace. And so when a customer does not want to give you the price that you think you need, I would take my first response to say, what is it that i'm not doing that they really want cuz i don't think it's really about price i think i'm just not meeting what they really want now it could also be that i'm just not really thinking outside the box in terms of how i do it and could i do it faster better cheaper and or am i or am i just accepting the fact that well this is the way the industry does it and there's not a you know, but I like to first take on the challenge of saying, well, if that's really what the market thinks that's worth, and obviously there's other people doing it that price, and we're not in one of those periods that contracting, you know, runs into where, you know, when you have a dip in the contracting market, people start accepting jobs at cost or even below cost just to keep their team together and hope that the market's going to come back. You know, it, we're, we're not, we're not saying it, it's you're in one of those periods, but you know, when you're really seeing a shift, You've got to study it and say, huh, you know, if there's other people being profitable with this, well, why are they? And is it a question of I gain that profitability by being at a larger size or can I find a way to, to mimic that? And I, and I think what we found is once you get past a million dollars of, of top line revenue, yeah, your, your numbers are going to be slightly different than, a say, a $5 million to a $10 million business. But you should be able to compete in most circumstances. You know, whether you're an HVAC contractor, electrical, plumbing, or, or you know, tile, or any of the other trades, you know, it, it is a lot about your ability to, as you know, as we talk about in the book, your ability to be profitable is how well you can find the labor, deploy it, and make it efficient. Because the efficiency of labor is the number one key to profitability. But I contend that actually finding a way to do something profitably is the easiest part of that three-step equation. I think figuring out what the market needs is the most difficult. And I do think that in the, the telling everybody about it so that you are meeting the market need, it, that, that part becomes less of a black art, I think, when you really have a passion about, you've touched on the pain point of the marketplace and found a way to solve it, that also makes you somewhat differentiated from the rest of your competitors because they don't see that pain point or they don't want to follow you into that briar patch and do what you're willing to do. So
0: I want to go two places and I want you to tell me Mm. what the most logical first place to go. Labor efficiency is something I first heard about last year or the year before. And Mm. um, you just said labor efficiency Labor productivity is the key to profitability. So I want you to talk a little bit about that. Um, That's one. The other is where does somebody listening start? How do they analyze their numbers and understand Mm. exactly where they really are? Head over to BuilderPrime.com and request a personalized demo with an expert today.
1: Well, I'll start start with just understanding what labor efficiency is. And and certainly since we're not looking at a document, it may make it a little more difficult. Uh, I use a simple number in the first book of, say, just, hey, just look at gross margins. So revenue minus those direct costs. Our philosophy is this, never, ever, ever, ever mix labor with something that's not labor. Labor has a very unique characteristic to it as a cost. It has emotion to it. It doesn't have the same level of, of output every day. You know, if I go buy a widget to apply it to a job, that, that tangible widget does what it's supposed to do. I mean, some may break, but, but, but at the end of the day, you know, a, a square tile is a square tile. You know, a, a, um, an air compressor is an air compressor and so forth. You know, so that they, don't, they don't change their performance, you know, as long as that, that material is performing a standard. And, and so, but humans are, have this dynamic capacity to, to cross a, a wide range of productivity. And part of it's based on your ability to manage, part of it's based on your ability to lead. And whereas most business owners have a tendency to try to use incentive compensation, which is a whole different topic. Uh, you know, but, but I think a lot of owners try to throw a compensation number out there. Oh, if you'll do this, I'll pay you this. And, and clearly, I mean, it's just woeful in terms of how often it actually works because really at the end of the day, no, no manager can ever advocate leadership and management. So why do you change the compensation of people when really you're just trying to get out of leadership and management? Now, the thing is, is you got to have a clear and precise way of understanding to measure that productivity. And what we did was we just did a simple math flip. And we said, listen, it's about, you know, a body is not a common unit of measure. I've never met two people who could produce the same or worth the same, all that. And and so really, at the end of the day, it is about a dollar of labor deployed. And so once you put a dollar of labor out there, what's the multiplier effect of gross margin that I get back off of that? And that's really kind of the critical number of, of productivity from my direct labor. And then uh, later on, what we've done is the business gets past a million. We start to separate it out and we, we separate management labor from direct labor. And, and so then what management labor is responsible for is what we call contribution margin, which is gross margin minus direct labor. And, and so that's that pure output of the business engine. And you can hold both groups accountable now the thing is you get to do that calculation you're going to see a number you go well here it's you know direct labor efficiency is two dollars and fifty cents what does that mean well the thing is, is you don't know what that means because it's not in context you actually have to measure that across time and and when you're measuring data across time it's better to measure larger periods of data rather than smaller periods the more you know a month is a highly inaccurate period of time a quarter is a little bit better But we believe that 12 months rolling 12 data is your best true measure of labor productivity. So we think that every, every month ends a 12 month accounting period. So if you just look at the last 12 months, that gives you a number and you compare that to the previous month and the previous month before that and so forth. And, and that, that gives you context of as the business performance changes, was it my labor productivity going down? Or was it some other cost that changed? And and I, I I'll tell you I mean I, I just i almost, almost never see it anything different other than it's either direct labor efficiency or management labor efficiency that changed in the model.
0: Greg, let's let's just do something real quick just for the okay. uh, maybe a little bit of ease for somebody that's that's mm-hmm. listening. So let's take let's use a nice round number. Let's use a million dollar million dollar company. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out labor efficiency. I mean, just give us some typical numbers for a million dollar company.
1: So let's, let's say that as a contractor, a million dollar company, you've got, let's say it's a, it's a low material cost company. It's mostly labor. So let's say you got 20% cost of goods sold of materials and supplies and stuff. So that means you're at 800,000 gross margin. And let's, Say that for an 800,000 gross margin, you have a direct labor uh, group uh, that uh, you spend $400,000 on that direct labor. Well, 800 divided by 400 is a two labor efficiency ratio. So that means my contribution margin of 800 minus the 400 in direct labor is now 400,000. So I've got 400000 left over to pay me as the owner of the business, any other non-direct labor like my, my office admin or, or bookkeeper or whatever, and then cover my facilities cost and my marketing cost and my just general operating business uh, expenses to do business. And so, so if I want to make $100,000 net income. Uh, I've basically got three hundred thousand dollars to spend on all that stuff to still have a hundred left over so that would be a good simple million dollar example in that process and and as you know from reading my book, my big thing is the owner who works in the business must take a market-based wage you, you can't not you' you're, you're diminishing the possibility of profitability here if, if you don't pay yourself a market-based wage and you're taking just the profits of the business, well, the business needs those profits to fund, you know, accounts receivable growth and and you know uh, other things that you need to do to grow the business. I want you to pay yourself a market-based wage in determining to get to that 10% profit number, so that then you've got a true return on investment. And, and uh, as we talked about. You know, I, I'm a huge believer in looking at your business as an investment, and and it has tremendous investment return possibilities. You know, if you look at it that way, but if you think that you're going to consume the profits as the thing that you're going to live off of, you you've, you've set yourself up, you know, for disaster.
0: I'm I'm really glad you made that point because this is something I've been I've been harping on for the last year. Like I told you before we started talking here, so many of the companies that I see, roofing companies, window, siding, palming, different types of contractors, a lot of times they don't know their net profit. A lot of times also they mix the net profit with their what should be a, a salary for them. Net profit comes after you've paid yourself a market-based wage for the job that you do.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, and everybody says, well, what, I don't know what I should pay myself. Listen, it's pretty simple. Just, just, just apply the run over by a bus test. I mean, if you get run over by a bus and your family decides to keep your business going, what would they pay somebody to, to show up for work the next day and do what you do? Cause I contend that, you know, as entrepreneurs, yeah, we're special, but we're, you know, we all can be replaced and some of us can even be improved upon, you know? So, so I think from that standpoint, you know, nobody's that special. That may take two people to replace you. It may take a half a person to replace you. But there's a skill set out there that will work for hire and, and do that job. And, and it doesn't take a genius to figure out what would that person cost. And that's that's the number you should make. Not necessarily what your previous job would have paid you. You know, If you are starting a business where you were a high-paid executive and now you just have the entrepreneurial bug and, and you're willing to work for nothing, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that, that whether you pay yourself or not, I mean, we contend that it's really you know, good for you to include that cost in your numbers for analysis purposes. Certainly, you don't want to pay tax on wages just to create a, a loss, uh, and, and IRS doesn't require you to do that. But, but the idea is you definitely want to account for it uh, in your numbers because I want you to look at that negative number and say, how long am I willing to accept a less than a market wage? Uh, just to make myself feel good that I made a profit, I just didn't make a livable wage on top of it. And it's like that. That's that's not it. That's that's not what the successful guys do.
0: That's one of the ways that entrepreneurs delude themselves. Um, one mm. of the ways, and we see this a lot in our in the main industry that we work in with replacement contractors, and I'm sure this is. This is typical in other industries as well. But I'll just talk about the industry that I have the most experience with is you'll have these guys coming in, at, you know, and boasting about, well, yeah, we're going to do $8 million this year. We're going to do $20 million this year. We're going to do whatever. And then you yeah. ask them the question, well, okay, that's great. And most people won't. Most people just be like, ah, you know, he's doing $8 million. He must be making a fortune.
1: A lot of times these guys yeah, are
0: not much money.
1: Oh yeah. Well, and a lot of times if you're not careful, if you don't really understand how to measure profitability on those high volume numbers at the top, those those are the ones that are more like the general contractor model I started off the discussion with that more than likely those are people below forty percent gross margin, probably closer in the twenty, twenty-five percent range. And yeah, they're turning over tons of dollars. But the in the example I used in the book, I think the twenty million dollar contractor that I used as example they had three million seven fifty, you know, as their um, as their gross margin, and I mean two million eight fifty is their gross margin. So they were at, at you know basically you know almost a a uh, slightly above a ten percent you know, gross margin number, because that's not uncommon. We see a lot of these, what we call pass through businesses. Yeah. And and so if you looked at that company's profitability, they were making 500,000 in profit on 20 million top line. Well, that's not very exciting if you look at it that way. But the reality is, Oh, well, wait a minute. Yeah. We're making 500,000 on two million eight fifty. Hey, that's about a 14% or uh, 18% rate of return or, or net profit number on gross margin. That's a good business.
0: That is, you know,
1: and that's why it's a good business. But when, but you also have to understand if you base all your metrics off of revenue, well, those things vary wildly. We we had a, a client one time that got an eleven million dollar contract from the government uh, that had ten million dollars of materials and a million dollars of services, and we actually chose to ignore the ten million dollars of materials because really they were just supposed to go out and buy this stuff and deploy it as part of the services. And we, we treated the 10 million as an in and an out. And the, the reality was it was a million dollar services contract was what it was. Yeah. You're just, you know, and, and if you, if you, if it makes you feel good that you ran $10 million through your business, tell everybody you want to that. But internally you'd better talk about gross margin is the true top line.
0: So this is all good stuff. Um, I want to give a plug for the book. We have just a, a few minutes mm-hmm. left. I'm just looking at the clock because I think every business owner Needs to read this book and really get an understanding of I think what this book does is encourages you and motivates you and <laughs> reinforces the fact that you're in business to make a profit you're in business to get a return on your time and money invested and so you could yeah. do. Um, you can either go to Greg's website and buy it. It's simple. It's easy. Yes. Simplenumbers.me.
1: Yeah, and, and on that site, I will say this. You know, one thing that people might want to take a look at. We have several de- free download uh, spreadsheet templates. There's some videos that they can watch. A little snippets of, of other information where I've done other talks and, and other things as well. So you know, but uh, but also you know, hey, the books on Amazon, you know, probably the vast majority of the books we've sold have been through Amazon. So uh, I, I'm ambivalent as to whether or not, you know, where people buy it. If somebody did want to buy, you know, kind of a, a bulk load of something, usually those are best to, to call us and we'll, we'll deal with them directly. But uh, either way is fine to me, you know. And, and the one thing I would say is I would also recommend taking a look at Vern Harnish's book, Scaling Up, uh i contributed chapter 13 to that book and that actually is the latest thinking that you know, the original book came out in 2011 uh i contributed that chapter scaling up came out in late 2014 um and, and so that that's really a little more recent stuff and then i'm, I'm working on a, a a follow-up book uh now as we speak that hopefully will be out next year um that, that's got some really good stuff that will advance that thinking even further uh, but I, I would probably certainly recommend getting Vern's book as well because um, that that one chapter plus the other aspects of you know how to you know deal with strategy for a business and people management and some of the best the best ideas on those things, you know that that's you know Vern's done a really good job with that.
0: Yeah, for sure. So as we wrap up here, let's talk about let's talk about some action steps. What can uh, the person that's listening to this um, what is what's like the first three things that they could go and do to get a better understanding of profit and to get their profits moving in the right?
1: Yeah. direction? Personally, I think is just the, you know, first get the book and, and just look at it from clearing distortions, setting a profit target, and then comparing where your activity is to where you're at now uh, or where you, where you want to be. What will help with that is there's some spreadsheet templates of how to organize your data in the structure that we recommend. I mean, most people have these two, three-page P&Ls with way too many accounts on it. And that's fine, you know, but you really got to condense it down into a much more manageable group. And we believe our simple numbers P&L model is really the the, the, the the best way to analyze your data and it will give you that metric and what you'd want to do is if we were going to do a planning session for for somebody the first thing we would do is you know this is the you know the, the middle of, of 2017 so we would go look at 2015 uh, year in, 2016 year-end and then we would look at the last 12 months of the most recent month in say in july And and we'd look at the 12 month data set at that point. And we would compare the performance to those three periods. And there's a thinking model template, you know, that's on the website, you know, that people would be able to download uh, and, and kind of put their data in that structure. And I think, you have the key, you have the answers in your own data. Go back and look at it. When were we at our best labor efficiency for direct labor? When were we at our best for uh, management labor efficiency? Have we adjusted that data for distortions of either my owner compensation or um, the other distortion is caused by owner occupied property so maybe I own a building and I'm either not paying enough rent or I'm overpaying rent. And you see it on both, both sides of the coin you know, so once you you've got to filter out those kind of things to just you need to play it straight up. Everybody likes to convince themselves that there's an angle to it, and it's like, listen, you know, it's all deductions, it's all taxable income, so it all nets out to roughly the same. So let let's I I find that if you look at truth, what I am seeking with this data is financial truth, and I think people will respond to truth far more than some made up. You know jumping through hoops version of data to make yourself feel better
0: yeah we don't want to uh we definitely don't want to delude ourselves into thinking we're doing a whole lot better than we really are do
1: we no and then and then you get into the aspect of you know when you read the book you know chapter four is really the other critical chapter where it talks about once you get the business profitable what's the strategy to use that profit you know first i've got to take care of taxes then i got to deal with paying back my debt and then I've got to save cash until I get to that core capital target. And I think probably even more so than labor efficiency, looking at the data of our clients over the last several years, the biggest message that we have gotten through to, to them is this idea of having two months of, of operating expenses in cash with nothing drawn on a line of credit. I mean, it is amazing you know, to see you know, people start to have a really solid balance sheet that gets them through a, a bump in the marketplace and especially being in the contractor world, you can't afford to not be prepared. You know, there's going to be a bump, you know, at some point. I mean, it happens every you know, five to seven years uh, no matter how good things are. And so the idea, you know, and when, when our clients who had listened to us back in 2008, even the ones in the real estate uh, and construction industries, they did. They did fine. Some of them made the most profits they'd ever made because they were the only game in town. Because they had saved money, they weren't in debt, and they were able to keep going. Because it didn't go to zero. I mean, people still did work. But, you know, there, there were still things to be done. It's just that it wasn't the, you know, the people that had fallen into the trap, and and your your listeners know this. You know, when you go sign up a deal with a track home builder to get volume. And that guy beats the crap out of you for pricing just to get volume. Why did you do it? Because it's just not worth it. I mean, you know, you'd have been better off, you know, to do half the volume at 10 times the profit level. Right. And and it's not about revenue. It's about profit.
0: That's right. And I think that is the best place to leave it. Greg, thank you. Thank you for joining us. I love the book. It had it really had a big impact on me. I I, I do recommend it a lot to my private clients, but that. here in in uh, in this setting, I would say everybody that's listening, if you own a business, this is one of those books that you've got to get. And it's not a uh, look, Greg. You're you're a CPA, right? You're an accountant by trade. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. You know, listening to Greg sometimes is hard. <laughs> he says a lot of stuff that's. <laughs> you know, uh, that for us, simple business people, you know, it's kind of in depth, but I will say the book is written very simply. Even I understood it. Um, and it really had a big impact on, on me, Greg, I'd like to have you back when I appreciate um, that. Yeah. I'm really excited about your second book, which I guess tentatively it's going to be, um, from profits to wealth,
1: Yeah, actually, it's kind of morphed into, we we were kind of, uh, I've gone through a couple of different iterations, but really the current project is actually to do a follow on to Vern's book, uh, and and it'll be called Scaling Up Cash. So essentially, I'm taking all things finance-related relative to Vern's original work and scaling up, and just really going deep on everything related to cash that starts with how to understand your business as an investment, and then what are the things that, that drives that value, and I, I, I think it's just stunning to, to look at the data that we've got as we're, we're building that data set for the book to, to, to make the case that if you really want to, to build wealth and make an impact, I mean, the be, one of the best ways to do it is to own a privately held business, but you got to be profitable, you got to be capitalized, and, and you've got to scale. And And when you can get those things all synced up, and if you've got the skill to do it, it is a massive opportunity to really you know, be uh, financially successful. And then once you've got the finances to be successful, there's a the world opens up in terms of the impact you can make on your, your community and your family. That's awesome. Well, Greg,
0: thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, for everybody listening, until next time, this is Brian Cascavalsian with G4 Marketing. All right, so that's it for today's episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Let me ask you, and a favor, I'd really appreciate it if you'd go to iTunes and post a review of this podcast. Let us know how we're doing. And finally, we started The Wealthy Contractor as a resource to help you, the home improvement entrepreneur, regardless of where you are on the wealthy scale, get where you want to go. We want to provide you with the motivation, the confidence, the resources, and the tools so you too can live the life of the wealthy contractor. Now the wealthy contractor is a place where it's okay for you to want it all. In fact, it's not only okay, it's encouraged. So until next time, this is Brian Kaskovalsian with G4 Marketing